wonderful, majestic world around us. It's time for Dear Science. Thanks to MOTAT, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow. Hello, Joel. How are we doing? Kia ora! <laughs> Great to be here live, in person, in the studio. It's been far too long. Back from the United States? The state of Minnesota, great state of Minnesota, as it's often referred to. The awesome state of Minnesota. <laughs> Land of 10,000 lakes. <laughs> Home of Prince. Ah, oh, so how's the science community over in America? It exists. It exists. Yeah, it's there. Not as good as ours. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we are biased in any way, shape, or form. No. However, we've got some science. To oh, let's about, talk. Don't we? Let's talk some very important science. And you wouldn't get this in the United States. No. no, this was actually a. This first study was a collaboration between an Australian group and the UK. So no, no US of A involved. But it is extremely important, and I cannot stress this enough, because it has to do with what would happen if you ate a Lego. I can imagine all sorts of possibilities. I think it depends on the Lego. Some of them are bigger than others. Mm. Let's be a little bit more specific. A Lego head. Oh, you'd be okay. Those are not too bad. Yeah, I think I could do it. <laughs> I think you, you could do it? Yeah, yep. I think my power through. Am I wrong? Turns out you totally can. <laughs> because there was a study that looked at eating exactly that, a Lego head, and then seeing how long it takes before it passes. Nice, nice. Why is this important? Well, small children eat things all the time, coins, toys. So they wanted to basically investigate to see if the human body can handle eating a Lego head. And to do this, they came up with this, their very own metric called the found and retrieved time. Otherwise known as fart. The fart. <laughs> I don't like that. It's a bit too funny. It's, well, it gets right to the point. <laughs> that it's how long it takes the Lego head to actually travel through the gastrointestinal system and then be retrieved in the stool. Right, right. So you don't just digest it. You don't, like, fizzle it into Lego nutrients. It does not become Lego nutrients. <laughs> no! Which is important. These are important facts that we need to... If find. you were able to ingest it, would it have nutritional value? Negative. No. Negative. So it would take too much effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's made of quite like a firm plastic, isn't it? It is a firm plastic. Speaking of firmness, another part of this study was to see if it did impact the firmness of the stool. And this is another metric that is written in the paper known as the stool hardness and transit <laughs> or the shat <laughs> okay these scientists have got some fantastic acronyms here so i'm reading here in the study that on average it's 1.71 days 1.71 days or two to three poos before that <laughs> lego will come out that's a lot more than i expected yeah I would have thought it was near instant, but I don't really know how the gastrointestinal tract works. And that is why we do these studies, Casper, to find yeah. this very important and quantitative information. Would this be a different time for a child versus an adult? 
that is something that, of course, they would need to study further, but they are suggesting it is possible, but if they, your child does eat something and it doesn't come out in maybe like three days or so, then maybe start to worry. But So that 1.7 days was a child's personal best? They did not uh, actually test childs. They recruited six uh, doctors, actually, who were brave enough to eat a Lego for science. And then what they had to do was sift through their own stool and find it. And, of course, that's another study where they found that they had three females and three males. So small studies, just uh, N equals six. And they found that all the females were able to recover that Lego head, but not all the males were. So it it could be that... Yeah, it says here in the paper, there was some evidence that females may be more accomplished at searching through their stools than males. (laughs) Which, which again, and I think the most shocking part of this study is that it actually scientifically confirms that girls do poop. Yeah, true. Sorry, guys. Busted the illusion. At least they do when they (laughs) eat Lego. We have to eat Lego. (laughs) Again, further study could be warranted. So this was an adult's. But it's showing promising evidence that children... Right, so don't freak out if your kid eats something stupid. Is that the the message we're taking home? Uh, The message I'm taking home, uh, gum? What would happen if you eat gum? Stays in your stomach for seven years. Uh, I think this study says it's probably going to take two or three days. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. So you could have been eating gum this whole time. (laughs) Very kind of you to put the lighthearted story... At the beginning, because now we have a radical shift to make. Yeah. We do. Uh, Very radical shift. So that one was fun. This one is less fun, but interesting. Still on the topic of petroleum products? Is that what Lego is made out of? It is, yeah. yeah. So there's there's our segue there. (laughs) It took me a while to find it. And speaking of petroleum products... (laughs) There is a recent study that was published in the top journal science that investigated climate models that the company Exxon, which is now Exxon Mobil, did back in the 70s. Yeah. So if you are familiar with Exxon, they have been sort of at the forefront of denying climate change. They've basically had some quotes like where their spokespeople have said that Climate projections are based on completely unproven models or more often sheer speculation. But it turns out their own company, as analyzed in this recent paper, said that they actually did have climate models that they were doing in-house, and they were pretty darn good. Really? That were as good or not better than what academics were doing. And then they forgot about them. Wow. Conveniently. (laughs) Oops, we forgot. (laughs) So in the 1970s, they knew already. Right. So there, a few years ago, you may have recalled there have been um, there was some news where there were some documents from 1977 that said that Exxon Mobil knew that climate change was real. It was caused by humans from excessive consumption of fossil fuels. They knew that, but now they were actually able to get a hold of the models that they were using their own personal climate models, and they were actually able to analyze them and compare them 
to what other people were doing at the time and how accurate they were, how good were their models. Turns out they were accurate up to 83% of the time. So they were like really good as far as a model goes. That's amazing accuracy. And this was just hidden since then? Oh yeah, this isn't something that they would just tell everyone about when they were trying to have a public narrative that was obviously opposite to that. So why might they have made these models? Is it like for future risk assessment possibly? Absolutely. So they wanted Mm -hmm. to know how much they're contributing and let's say if they we wanted to make sure we didn't get above two degrees c warming how much um, reduction in fossil fuel consumption would we need over time so it's basically modeling their and how much did they make how much of a reduction how much would it it's it's pretty severe and so they obviously were not didn't want to lose that business and they actually have funded millions upon millions of dollars to the opposite to people that would basically try to poke holes in the science of climate change in a very, very similar way that was successful with the tobacco lobbying industry back mm-hmm. in the 50s, where they would get doctors to basically say that you know smoking, there's no proven evidence that smoking causes cancer and things like that which delayed, uh, of course, regulations. Even though they had accurate evidence. Even though the science was there. And this problem likely won't pass in two to three days. This is not (laughs) a quick two to three day uh, remedy. Um, Only it was likely (laughs) going. But just for fun, just just to let you know the scale of how much, I guess, Exxon and other fossil fuel industries have been funding this counter-narrative that climate change is not real, it's not caused by humans. Over a seven-year period from 2003 to 2010, there's an estimated $558 million, $558 million gone to funding that counter-narrative. Oh, that's terrible. What have they even been funding? (laughs) Uh, They've been funding, I guess, it's similar to the tobacco uh, lobby and industries, so yeah. um, uncredited PhDs and researchers to say quotes and, of course, other sorts of campaigns yeah. as well. Oh, that's so shocking. <laughs> they actually wrote us a check to uh, move on from this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Into actually something quite related. Um, maybe a solution is to invest in more fjords. Fjords! Fjords! That's right. Yay. So any of those that have maybe been to Fjordland. I have. You have? I have also been to Fjordland. That makes three of us. I've been told that some of them aren't fjords. Yeah. But I don't know what makes it a fjord and what makes it not a fjord. Ooh, let's talk about that. Fjord Mm -hmm. means it's carved by a glacier. A sound is carved by a river. Wow. So, Milford Sound, actually a fjord. Wow. We've been lied to the And what do these fjords do? They are actually super good at carbon storage. Nice. Sounds good. So a fjord is like a geographic sort of landmark. Where is the carbon stored? Where in the fjord? It's in the sediments. So in the fjords, um, like in Doubtful Sound, they could be over 450 meters deep. And so what happens is this organic matter from plants or sea creatures or whatever, when they die, they sink to the bottom of the ocean, and then they 
if they're in a fjord, will stay there. They'll be captured. That's captured carbon. So things like plants, for instance, they'll take CO2 out of the atmosphere, and then when they die, if they sink to the bottom of a fjord, they're going to sit there for a while. Otherwise, they'll just decompose and re-release that CO2. So what's so special about fjords? What's so special about them is, well, they take up 0.1% of the ocean surface area, but are 11 to 12% of all carbon storage of the ocean. That's amazing. Go fjords. <laughs> New favorite thing here now. So this study actually um, looked at three different fjords mm. in New Zealand, all with 25 across the world, looking at um, Europe, Asia, Antarctica. And they looked at doubtful sound, the dusky sound, and the long sound. And what they would do is they would actually take sediments and then try to understand um, if these fjords, if they are, are capture or if when there's the next glacial period, are they going to be able to be released easily? So are they just a sink or are they also a reservoir that could possibly re-release that carbon? And through this study, they found that actually, yes, they are very capable of re-releasing that carbon during um, different glacial or interglacial periods, meaning it's kind of like a temperature control for the um, climate, naturally. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Are we likely going to run out of fjords without the glaciers to create them? Well, in the next however many hundred thousands of years, when we do have another glacial period, they will carve some new fjords, perhaps. Oh, that's reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. So it's regenerative if you have enough time. So it's kind of its own little feedback loop of storing and releasing carbon, depending on whether exactly. it's so icy in the, or yes, not. In the next glacial period, it will. it's predicted that it will release some of this carbon storage and could actually increase the CO2 by like 50 parts per million in the atmosphere. Wow, and then increase the temperature so they all melt again. I love that. We love science. <laughs> we don't love global warming, though. No. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Really For global it. warming, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Motat. Well, I didn't know that before. Dear Science, thanks to Motat, the museum inspiring the innovators of tomorrow.